Welcome back to 5050 Films. I'm Peter. And I'm Autumn, and this week we watched two very different movies. The first of which was a 2022 release, Turning Red by Disney. I had to watch this one because my friend Gina and I, as I mentioned in the media break for last week, have just started the anime Agretsuko, and Gina really liked this movie, and while we were watching the first two episodes of that show, she was saying how she liked to to picture that um, Retsuko from Agretsuko is just an older version of, of May from Turning Red, so I needed to watch it to have the context, so we did watch it. It's been on our list for a little while. A couple of our friends have told us that they really liked it. We both rated it entertaining. Personally, it reminded me a lot of Vivo, which is a movie that you did not watch because I watched it with Gina. Again, (laughs) also with Gina. Um, But it's about a teen girl who's considered weird by her peers and music is a main element. A lot of those aspects are in Vivo as well. So the character of May really reminded me of the girl in Vivo. So there were a lot of similarities there. What were your initial thoughts? Um, I don't know. I thought it was all right. Uh, it was fun, right? Like I didn't have any problems with any of the characterization or anything like that. I thought it was pretty solid, you know. Um, I don't really. I haven't really seen a whole lot of, like, Asian-style stories, I guess. Like, you watch Fresh Off the Boat, and you've seen, like, and you've seen Crazy Rich Asians, and... Yeah. So, like, but like you know, so I'm, like, kind of familiar with some of those, like, Asians in America stereotypes, right? Um, but, you know, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, there are some really inter- entertaining points. I really liked um, Priya, one of her friends. She was immensely entertaining who's played by the main actress in never have i ever which i was so excited to find out so here's a brief plot synopsis what did i just say brief plot synopsis plate synthesis (laughs) the main character is may she's in middle school she's got this group of three friends it's priya and abby and do you remember the name of the one her mom doesn't like Starts with an L or an M. Okay, well, there's the main, like, best friend of hers is one. We're so bad at this. We're so bad at this. Is one her mom does not like. And May has a really close relationship with her parents, specifically with her mom. And they work in this temple together. They show it off. It's like a tourist attraction in the area where they live. And one of their ancestors was really connected to the Red Panda. So that's a huge aspect of that temple. So later in the story, May starts to feel a little bit weird. And she wakes up as a Red Panda. And when her parents figured this out, they're like, oh my gosh, like it happened so soon. And she's like, how did you know this was going to happen? And it is something that happens to the women in her family. They become red pandas and they have to do this ceremony to get rid of the panda so the whole story is her trying to go to this boy band concert with her friends this boy band called four town that has five members and they're trying really hard to get tickets and her parents don't want her to show off the panda but being the panda makes her popular at school so they're using that to get money to go to this concert that her mom really does not want her to go 
too. So the main conflict is just this idea of May wants to be her own person, but she doesn't want to lose that close relationship she has with her mom. So just a lot of themes and elements of growing up. Does that do justice? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, her turning into a panda is surprisingly okay. Like, (laughs) like surprisingly okay. To the point where it it feels like this is in a world we're really not seeing much of, you know? If yeah. if the if, you know, her family having a blessing from their ancestor to to be like have the power to turn into red panda like this crazy powerful red panda spirit thing. Big red panda. Big red panda. Not, not just I mean her mom is a gigantic yeah, red her panda. Her mother's a kaiju essentially. <laughs> um and uh, th- that's kind of cool, but like it is very much like, whoa, you can turn into a panda, sick. No one asks any questions. Maybe it's because it's Canada, man. Like I don't know. Oh like... yeah, that's that's a good. It, it takes place in Toronto, right? Yeah, Toronto. I thought that was really cool because you don't see a lot of. I haven't seen a lot of movies set in Canada, animated or not. So yeah. I, I did really like that aspect. Yeah, it it was like it was very sh- like strange, like. It's just because, like, you know, a lot of other movies would be like, you have to keep this a secret because you will be hunted by the government. But yeah. it's Canada, so I suppose the government's <laughs> probably polite enough that they're just going to let her do like, her thing. Okay. <laughs> that or this is a world with spirits and superheroes. That we don't know about. That we we aren't seeing that are pretty normalized. And just because her friends are not obsessed with, they're not like nerdy boys obsessed with, you know... Super superheroes and that kind of stuff. They're obsessed with the boy band that, you know, they they get. <laughs> that it's different. That aspect of it, the whole four town aspect, really. This is maybe the most realistic depiction I've seen to my own middle school experience because I had a really close group of there were five of us um, friends and we all really loved One Direction. And so just seeing them all hang out and obsess over this boy band, like, really took me back to what middle school felt like for me. So that was definitely something that was, it was, it was the positive parts of middle school. So it wasn't like looking back on middle school, like most things and being like, ugh, like cringe. It was actually reminding me of some fun, happy memories I had in middle school, which was really just really happy for me honestly i i enjoyed that part it like really took me back to just like bonding with someone over something so dumb like a boy band (laughs) but how you can form friendships over something like that so i really did like that aspect and we are peter already mentioned this earlier but we are huge priya stands in this household Mm -hmm. (laughs) she always says like she has very short clipped responses to everything. She like very much looks like the cool girl in their group. Highly deadpan. Yeah, she's great. Deadpan, like goth. You know. Indian girl, yeah. We loved her. She was so great. I'd say the most there are a couple cringy type scenes in this movie because it is about middle schoolers. But the scene that I found the most uncomfortable was there's a scene before May becomes the panda. I think it's right the night before. Um, she kind of discovers that she thinks this guy who works at the... Where does he work? Like a Minute Mart yeah, kind of place? Yeah, equivalent of which is like a 
like a 7-Eleven. Yeah. Her market. friends all think he's cute and she's telling them like, no, we have to focus on four town. But then that night she's like drawing and she realizes she thinks he's cute. So she like draws pictures of them like riding on the back of a horse together or like hugging and things like that. And her mom finds them and thinks that they're real and doesn't even give May a chance to explain and goes straight to the shop and accosts him about all of this, which not only is just horrible and awful, but then really backslides into the rest of May's life. And like there's this kid in school is hanging up photocopies of the pictures she had drawn and things like that. It really, like, her mom thinks she's doing May a favor by keeping her away from this boy, but this boy has no idea who May is, and now May has, like, horrible experiences mm-hmm. at school. Hence, the red panda. Which, before we started this movie, Peter said, what did you say? I was like, is it just a period-like analogy? And, so, and I still think it is a period analogy. It definitely <laughs> is, but... They do not shy away from that at all. Like, within, she becomes the red panda, and her mom's like, oh my gosh, she must have gotten her period. Like, we have to, and her mom comes in with what, like 16 boxes of different kinds of pads? Different kinds of pads. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that is an aspect of it. You expect them to think that's what it is, and then you find out that they actually know why she's a panda. Yeah. It kind of plays into that. But, I think a big part of it is the, it's just a pinpointing a reason why her emotions are so crazy and she and her mom are starting to drift apart, if that makes sense, which definitely still Yeah, it's definitely, a, it's a puberty analogy, if anything, you know, it's like 100%. Just her like kind of splitting off from her mom a little bit and becoming her own person a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's like, she is, like, the, like, the picture of filial piety, essentially, right? Like, 100%, like, honor your parents, honor your mother, honor your grandmother. Um, guys, I'm sorry, I can't hang out after school. I have to clean the entire temple with my mom. It's right. cleaning day. And she's not even upset about it nope. either. She's, she's happy to she's do it. She's just, she's a little, she's like sorry that she can't, but she's it's got something she's got to do, you know? Yeah. And, but yeah. And then you kind of like see that deteriorate to the point where it's like, hey, li- listen, I'm going to be a teenager and I just want to do my own thing. Yeah, and like, by the end they find a really nice balance. Yeah. It all comes to a very happy conclusion. Mm-hmm. Her relationship with her mom, you find out, is this, like, almost uncomfortable straining at this point because her mom had the same relationship with her grandmother. And eventually you get to meet all of these women in May's family. They come to, like, intervene when May is supposed to have her ceremony to get rid of the panda. And so they all come and they're trying to work to get that done and in the end there's this big like battle scene at the four town concert because her mom comes Mm -hmm. as the giant panda to stop it and everyone turns into the pandas there's this big panda battle and um then they all you know they do the the ceremony oh it's not a panda battle it's everyone turns into a panda to try and drag her back into the circle yeah, so that they can like do the ceremony. Busted, powerful. Mm-hmm. She's huge. She's yeah. huge. And so they do the ceremony, and they all go into this like enchanted forest. And in the end, May decides that she's going to keep her panda. She gets to see her mom. As a kid, as yeah. As a kid, yeah. 
I liked that scene. There's a scene where she they're like walking through the forest, and she takes her mom by the hand, and she's a little girl, and then she's a teenager, and then she's her her mom at this age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very good. It was like it was a good part of the movie. Mel's dad was a great character in this one too. He was just very supportive and kind with everything that Mel's Mays. I was gonna say I like Mel's Mel. I was like, oh, she just. He just looked over and saw. Oh, I'm sorry. May's dad. I'm going to misread our notes here. Yeah. If, if you can imagine that we have notes based on the fact that we forget every character name in every show or movie we watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. He's he's super chill. Like, her mom's, like, pissed at her and stuff, and he's, like, the stereotypical, like, your your mom needs a little bit of time, but, like, you know, we, don't, we still love you. Like, it's okay. And just... And there's a good scene between him and May where he says, like, your mom and your grandma didn't have a great relationship either. It's because your grandma didn't want her to marry me. (laughs) And so you get a little bit of clarification as to why the mother and the grandmother's relationship is a little bit strained, too. (laughs) You know, he, 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 like, beats around the bush a little bit. He's like, yeah, your mom, your mother talked to you about her panda. And she was like, no. Like, it was big. Yeah. Like, Like, really, like, like. Very like when she fought your grandmother, she destroyed about half of the temple, basically, and uh, <laughs> and then and they're like, why were they fighting? Oh, me, yeah. <laughs> basically, um, and then yeah, he buried the lead a little bit, but and then and then when she ends up seeing her mom at fully transformed into giant kaiju panda, she's like, <laughs> what did she say? Like I forget, but yeah, she's like. I- Wait, Tat's mom? (laughs) You said she was big. That's like, he's like, she's really big. (laughs) (laughs) This gigantic panda. Meanwhile, May's panda's like eight feet tall, maybe. Yeah, like just a little bit bigger than she is at at human height. Like Shaq could probably wrestle May's panda. Oh, he definitely could. But. (laughs) I feel like this was just like a solid, good, entertaining Disney movie. For me, it was on the same level of some of the newer ones, like Raya and the Last Dragon and Luca. I was telling Peter, and I I definitely mentioned this in previous podcasts as well, especially when we talked about Encanto, which I absolutely loved, that it used to be when I was younger that every time a Disney movie came out, it was like super exciting and I loved it. And now it's like really a, a shot in the dark. For me to be absolutely in love with it. It's never... I rarely feel like, eh, I didn't really like that. That was a waste of my time. They're almost always solidly entertaining for me. But some of them are just missing that little bit of a of a spark or of something extra. Yeah. Um, and Kanto had that for me. This one didn't as much. Yeah, it was fun. It was entertaining. It was probably on, like... For me, it was on, like, Big Hero 6 tier. Okay, I, well, I did like Big Hero Six a little bit more than this movie, but that's I... just because it's an action. It's a you know, it's a comic book movie. Yeah, I've only seen that one once, so I feel like I would have to rewatch it to have an opinion. But <laughs> San Francisco is the setting. I remember, yeah, in that movie. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was. I thought it was, it was. It was definitely entertaining. You know, I didn't think it rewrote any kind of like paradigms for me, but it was. It was good. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about. The other media we've consumed this week. Yep. 
I finished both of the books that I mentioned in our last recording. So that's Blood and Honey by Shelby Mahurin, which I rated four stars. It was pretty good. Not as good as the first book, Serpent and Dove, but I still liked it and I enjoy the fantasy world and the different types of witches that Shelby Mahurin is exploring. So I think I will read the next one. They're I don't know for sure that there is one, but I feel like there has to be just based on how the second one ended. And then I also finished the nonfiction audiobook I was listening to, Fierce Free and Full of Fire by Jen Hatmaker. I really loved it. I thought there were so many great points made in there. It really inspired me in a lot of different ways, and I recommended it to all of my friends, so I hope some of them read it and love it as well. Because I finished both of those, I've moved on to a new physical book and a new audiobook. Um, my audiobook is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. I f- read on ebook the first book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, in the Brown Sisters romance companion novels last year. This one is about Danny Brown, who is a professor. She's a literature professor, but she has been placed in this old medical science building while her classroom's getting repaired, and there's a security guard there. Um, And I think it's about them becoming kind of friends with benefits and then eventually something more. So I've been listening to that on my commute. And I have been reading the first book in the fifth series of the Warrior Cats books, which the series is called A Vision of Shadows. I think the first one is An Apprentice's Quest. Um, I've just been feeling really honestly just overwhelmed and anxious recently so I wanted something kind of nostalgic but I didn't feel like rereading and I loved these warrior cats books as a kid and in middle school so maybe watching turning red has affected my I'm just going back to middle school that's a little bit scary but I (laughs) I did really love these books for a long time and so it's it's kind of fun to like dive into the newest versions of them it's such a quick easy read and I think I'm gonna fly through it which is really what I'm looking for I just want something to like get me back into reading and take my mind off of everything that is stressing me out um, I'm still watching Agretsuko with my friend Gina I am really excited we're gonna watch it tomorrow is our watch day so I'm really excited to watch some more I've been thinking about it like way more than I thought I would be um, so I'm excited to get back into that I watched the second episode of Sweet Magnolias, which was recommended to me by my friend Vanessa. I am enjoying it. It's a kind of like small town, I guess it's a drama you would consider it, but it's just about all these families and the way that they connect and these three main women who are like best friends are the main characters. I think they're based on books by Cheryl Woods. But I might be wrong. They're definitely based on books. I think that's the author. And I've been enjoying it. However, the episodes are an hour long. And I, I really struggle with that. I, I like, I prefer shorter episodes. If it's reality TV and it's longer episodes, it's fine. Because I have no qualms about just like stopping wherever in the middle of a reality TV episode. But I've only watched two of these Sweet Magnolia episodes because... I want to be able to finish the whole episode, but I can't always commit to the full hour because I have a very long commute and I don't always have the patience to like sit through that, especially with something like drama based in that kind of drama and not like the Real Housewives drama, which I've actually been taking a little bit of a break from the Real Housewives. I've not really watched any of that lately. I think that's my whole update. 
You have watched quite a bit, haven't you? Yes, I have. So, um, I said last week I finished watching Jujutsu Kaisen um, and watched the Jujutsu Kaisen movie with my buddy Paul. And um, this week we had started a new anime. It's called Black Lagoon. It's from like 2004 or something. Um, it's about pirates in the South China Sea and this Japanese businessman that gets like dragged into becoming a pirate because his, his corporation sort of just gives him a for dead essentially. Um, so that's very entertaining. Uh, I've only got a couple episodes into that, but that's what me and my buddy Paul are watching uh, right now. Um, additionally, uh, because of a thing I was doing for a class, I ended up watching all of HBO's Generation Kill last week. So that was like seven miniseries episodes. Each of them were like an hour long. Um, that was really good. It was super well done. It uh, chronicles... Well, it's, it's based on the book Generation Kill, which chronicles um, Evan Wright. He's a, he's a journalist. He's a journalist of Rolling Stone at the time. Um, who he, he is inserted as a journalist with a first, with the first recon marine unit. Um, Bravo Company. Uh, I think it's Second Platoon. He's like, he's like inserted with them. Um during the invasion of Iraq in 2004. Um, so when Iraq's invaded, you know, we, you see, like, from the Marines' perspective, and it's really good. It's super off-color at certain points because it's just, like, it's, like, you know, what I imagine, how I imagine, like, anyone from, like, this generation of, like, I, th I think he, I don't remember exactly what he calls him in the book, it's like it's like this generation of like almost like lost children. Like these are all like these are all like Gen X slash millennials, you know? Usually millennials really. Like their parents are like you know, their their children are divorced, they're used to being lied to for some reason or another. And so this is like a generation of, of Marines who throughout the series they're like super gung ho about the invasion. So you're like, all right, hell yeah, we have something to do. Like this is, we train for this. We have some missions. We're gonna carry out our missions. And then by the end, everyone's basically just absolutely sick of being in Iraq. And they're like, the the the, the why the hell are we here? Slowly grows through the series. Like there's no point to us being here, man. Like, and from both perspectives of why do we have first recon marine like reconnaissance marines? manning, a, like, a team of Humvees, like, they're mounted, like, mechanized infantry or cavalry or something, and, like, just rolling through these towns to, like, advance the battle line, right? They, they're pissed about that because they're not doing any recon, none of the stuff they trained for. They're just in Humvees moving through, a, like, a, invading a country, essentially. Um, and then also in the, like, they're just seeing civilians just get killed and killed and killed and killed the entire time and there are a couple like standout characters i think my favorite character is um josh ray person real person real guy like this man exists um but he's played by uh i think he's john ransom uh ransom in the in the series this like fast talking you know midwestern dude just like he's like cracking like jokes all the time sometimes they're a little racist sometimes and the thing is like like throughout the series like it this is you know this isn't like a unit of like all white marines like there's 
there's black dudes, there's a bunch of Hispanic guys, and they're all like, everyone's making fun of each other's race, everyone's making fun of each other's, like, you know, sexual preferences, or some, like, there's, like, the, the, the wild part is, it's, like, it's so, like, just, just, like, how they talk to each other is, like, their family, because it's the Marines, and, like, that's how, like, their boot camp is designed to make them, like, reliant on each other, and, like, and their own ingenuity, essentially, and that's, they, even at the beginning, like, we find out that they're, like, completely, like, out of their depth. Like, like the, the, they got sent, like, old Humvees from Desert Storm. Like, these things are pieces of junk. The, he's, like, he's, like, the Army has logistics. The Marines make do is, like, quoted a few times. Marines make do. They, like, they figure, that they figured out on their own, basically. Like, they're spending their own money on upgrading their Humvees and, like, like making and this isn't a special forces unit. Like that Humvee's not gonna be like part of someone's like it's not gonna go into someone's garage afterwards. It's gonna get blown up in Fallujah or whatever. But um, and it's it's just it's supremely interesting to just watch them like like rib on each other and there are some like real funny moments and some like kind of a lot of like heartfelt just like making you think moments. Of these guys just like like they'll there's a, there's one real poignant moment where they just sort of sit there they're, they're they're watching a little Hamlet, right? And there's, like, you know, women and children, like, doing their daily stuff. And they're just, like, on the berm watching this Hamlet. And, they're like, they're reporting back over the radio. He's like, yeah, we got we got nothing. It's just it's just a couple women and children. N- you know, nothing here. Um, they're about to, like, go back. And then the whole place just explodes. Because, like, an F-18 just, like, on someone else's authority just, like, bombed it while they were watching, basically. And he's, they're just, like... Everyone's just like, "What the hell?" Well, first off, there's the shock of something just exploding in front of them. They didn't expect because they didn't, they weren't, they didn't have them on comms when that happened. Um, and they, there's just like this: why, why would we, why would we waste like an eleven thousand dollar bomb to just blow up a bunch of civilians in a hamlet that we've de- determined is not is non-hostile, right? So this, this, it's 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 a crazy series. It's really wild to watch, um, and like, you know. I mean, there's a lot of really, uh, there's a lot of uh, racial slurs thrown around, um, both you know from Marines to Marines, like in a more lighthearted manner, and then also in a, they just com- constantly refer to the Iraqis as a couple of like slurs that were pretty prominent at the time because that's what they did, and this is like, you know, it's this is like true story, right? So he's like he's not dumbing it down, um, and like some of the guys from the actual unit. Um, were in the they they consulted like during filming to make sure everyone was doing it, it looked perfect you know looked like it did when they were there and actually the one guy they call him Fruity Rudy he's he's just a really really physically like he's he's like he's, he's a man who's super physically attractive and they they all joke about it they're like hey man it's you know you 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 can find Rudy attractive and not be gay like we all think Rudy's hot <laughs> like because he's just like dude takes care of himself he's like super super pretty man right. Um, he's actually played, like, they got the actor, the, the guy who's playing Rudy Reyes is actual Rudy Reyes from real life. Oh my gosh. When they got him to consult, he, they were just like, they are like, we can't find anybody who matches this dude's, like, his energy and his, like, <laughs> his, it, just, just like, you know, because he's got this very zen energy, he talks about, like, Buddhism a lot in the show, like, he's trying to, like, resolve, like, killing people with his, with his own ideas of, like, Dharma and, like, trying to find his own zen, um... And, yeah, they, that's just, that's the guy who was in Iraq at the time. Like, that's him. <laughs> it's 
really crazy that they just like they were just like no you know what could could you do it <laughs> they they had him they had him do it on they had him like do some lines on screen and like this is perfect I mean if you if you want we'll just we'll have you can be the actor for this but it was it was really cool it was really cool to watch um that was really good and then <laughs> with my friends over the last couple days after I finished working every night um, we've been watching uh really garbage B tier uh, 80s movies they're from this there's a series called the Triple B series um, all made by the director Andy Sedaris they are absolute garbage the first one we watched was Malibu Express well that's the first one in the series the second one was the one we watched first but it's called Hard Ticket to Hawaii and the third one's called Picasso Trigger and it's like some of the same characters this guy basically just got like four or five playmates for each movie and then and like a couple of like low tier like actors and they are so bad but there are some really funny action scenes and how stupidly ridiculous they are. They would all fall under bad... Well, not, not all of them. They would fall under, like, the bad but good category if we were giving them our rating system where it's like, this is a terrible movie, but me and my friends are watching it and we're actively making fun of it. And um, one of the things we're laughing real hard about right now is it looks like for each of these movies, the guy hired the same, like, prop, props department for the guns that they use. It's like an 80s action movie, so there's guns. It is the most eclectic assortment. There's like 1878 double-barreled shotguns, and then, <laughs> and also like, like a lot of them use 22 long rifle, like little dinky like guns that I associate with just like shooting targets. You know, <laughs> it, it it's very funny. But it's we've been watching those; they've been pretty entertaining. So I've actually like got three extra movies this week that we just sort of I didn't expect to happen, but we were just goofing around and we're like, this is too funny to not watch. But yeah, I think that's about it. Oh. Um, I did start reading Oranges by John McPhee. That's my only book for this week. It's a nonfiction book about like sort of the history and like everything around uh, growing oranges and where oranges came from. It's pretty cool. That's it. <laughs> what? That's the that's the sound they use in Inception. We watched Inception as our second movie. Autumn's looking at me like I'm a fool because I made the. <laughs> they do is literally there's a website. It was just a button. You get the Inception, blah. It was like a little wave file. The um, whole website was just that button. So you can make the blah. Maybe we'll insert it. We probably won't, but, you know. No, we won't. You just did it. Why would we need to? Because it sounds um, better when it's a real sound effect and not me going, blah. <laughs> okay, you've done that enough. Okay. When does that happen in the movie? All the time. Like, every reveal, every, like... Like, when the, 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 the city starts to, like, fold over when she realizes she's in the dream and she starts bending reality. Like, so many times. Okay. It, it, was, it was the meme for this movie was that blah noise. Yeah. I've now done it, like, 12 times, you know. Yeah, I, I think you've already done more sound effects than you did in last week's Star Wars episode, which is, like, impressive. Yeah, because I did a lot of, a lot of blaster noises. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. a lot of noises that weren't even, didn't even make the actual recording oh. that you were just doing in between takes. Oh, yeah. So I don't think there's any other sound effects you're going to have for this movie unless you no. come up with them. But I didn't know about this one. So. But this is Inception, and uh, I mean... Why did you want to watch this? I was, I was actually going to pick Starship Troopers, but, I mean, you weren't in a super, like, receptive mood to Starship Troopers, for for like from from my I didn't my, say anything. But I know you didn't, but I, I was, was grumpy. I was. I'm not I ashamed was just, of that. I was I was <laughs> reading the room. I was like, 
if I put Starship Troopers on, she's going to hate every second of it right now. We couldn't get a good read of this movie if I wanted to. I've never seen Starship Troopers, but we'll watch it at some other point. But I was scrolling through other stuff on Netflix, and I found Inception. And I was like, you know, I watched this maybe the year after it came out. Haven't seen any of it since. I want to rewatch it, see if it's still as... I thought it was good, you know, when I first watched it. It was a fun movie. I think it actually hits better now, because it came out when I was, like, 15. So, you know, I maybe would have watched it at home. Probably, I might have been 16. I might have waited, like, a year to watch it. But, like, it was, you know, it's a good movie. But no, I, I think it was actually even better now that I've been able, to, been able to, like, really internalize and understand, like, a lot of it. It was good. But, yeah, uh, short synopsis of Inception. Um... There's a device in this world that allows people to go into other people's dreams to learn information. Um, and in order to do it, you have to be skilled. You have to create the dream that they're in. You have to have access to them physically in the real world, right? And you bring them down into a dream to try to to, to like trick them into revealing the information. Uh, you, so these people are like con artists, basically. Like, like, like government agents slash con artists, so they have to figure out how to get somebody to reveal their their deepest secrets or whatever tech information they want, and that's the whole thing, right? Um, so the concept very early on, like at the very beginning, like it's it's the one guy figures out that he's in a dream, and this is Ken Watanabe's character Saito, right? Um, so Saito is he's the mark. They're trying to get him to reveal his secrets, and they. He, he he figures it out and he's pulled out of the dream and they're in this crazy world that's like being overrun by like Molotov like you know Molotov throwing people and and then it's revealed that this is a second layer to the dream so they they came out of one dream into a, a dream layer one higher they're not in the real world they're still in a dream it's just a different dream and then he's Saito is like very impressed by this because he he actually, like, aside from the fact that they're supposed to get plans from him, he wants something from them, or he, he's look, he, he's been kind of, like, waiting for them to contact him. I'm sure he kind of knew about, there's probably some background stuff that we don't really know about because we don't get the inf info in the movie. But anyway, Saito then finds them because they're on the run from some other company that they couldn't, because he couldn't get the info from Saito. Saito's like, I need you guys to do a job for me. Um tells them what he needs basically and then it becomes a heist movie so he needs them to to commit inception which is the idea of instead of going into the dream to steal information you go into the dream and you 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 arch you know like architecturally create this dream so that you make the person in the dream have an idea and it has to be them having their own idea you can't just tell them because then they'll remember that it, it wasn't really their idea. It was something else in the dream. And it, it's not real at that point. But you, you, you trick them into believing that the idea that they're having is their own idea. And then it's something that they'll act on in the real world. Right? So, the, and, and in order to do that, um, so this is Leonardo DiCaprio as the main character. Cobb. Don Cobb. Dom Cobb. Dom right? Cobb. <laughs> Dom Cobb. It's such a dumb name. Yeah, it it's a really bad good. name. Um, but Cobb, they're both fine separately. They just sound awful together. <laughs> yeah. And no one ever says them together, I will say. Yep. So his wife calls him Dom, and everyone else calls him Cobb or yep. Mr. Cobb. So. Yeah. It's like they knew it was a horrible name. 
So he puts his team together, and they figure they need to go three levels deep in order to properly incept this idea that this man, who's played by the dude from Peaky Blinders, like Ceylon or something like that, I can't pronounce Irish names. It's oh, The character is Fisher. F- yeah, his name is Fisher. Um, and uh, they, they need Fisher to, his dad's just died, or they, they know he's going to die, and he dies before they incept him, right? So his dad's just died, and they want him to break up his father's, uh, was it oil? Yeah, I think it was energy. His, his father's energy empire. Break it up so that uh, Saito could serve. His business was getting pulled under by uh, by his by the Fisher Corporation. Right? Yeah, if they if they kept going, they were going to be the only energy corporation yeah. in the world, and none of the other ones were going to be able to yeah survive. So so Saito Saito's like concerned about this. He wants them to break them up. That's the idea. The idea has to be that he wants to break up the empire. And they have to do it through his crazy like acting twists to like make him distrust some people and it's pretty crazy. Um also in this movie, um I don't know what the Indian guy He might he might even be Indian. He could he could be like Pakistani or something. Um The character Yusuf, yeah. is that who you're Yeah, he's a it's South Asian actor Yusuf is the character I don't remember his name um, we had Tom Hardy as Eames uh, the forger the guy who can like fake stuff real well in, in dreams and in reality he can right? like play other people yeah it was really cool yeah he could he could, he could change his face you know, you know become another person in the dream really neat um, there is the Joseph Gordon Joseph, Levitt Joseph, yeah Joseph Gordon Levitt can't remember his name his character's name arthur arthur yeah arthur is cobb's partner right they were partnered up with another guy but the other guy sold them out so you know saito just sort of got rid of him didn't kill him but he says he gave, basically just handed him to the competitor right that was trying to kill them or get their money back or whatever so we have joseph gordon levitt we have um Leonardo DiCaprio. leonardo dicaprio we had tom hardy ken watanabe who's an excellent japanese actor um, the guy who plays Yusuf, and Elliot we Page. had Elliot Page. That's um, Ariadne, which I pointed out to Peter. There's some symbolism there because she plays the the architect, um, and before she's hired, Cobb has her create a bunch of mazes, and Ariadne is in Greek mythology the one who has helped Theseus defeat her brother, the Minotaur, and come out through the labyrinth. Yeah. So yeah, she or. Uh, he plays Ariadne. This is difficult because it's it's a I'm, I'm I might mess that up at some well, point. And I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that I'm doing that on purpose, but at that the point, actor is the, he. yeah, the character is a she. Um, this is you know of course 2010, so quite a while ago. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so you see like Ariadne's is basically she's like and he's either a college or a grad student. That Michael Caine, who makes like a he's a very small supporting role in this movie. Michael Caine is like the you know he's he's one of uh, Cobb's friends, right? He's this professor who does the dream tech, and he has this you know um, Ariadne is not like she does not know about any of this dream stuff, and he basically like gives her like a job interview in a dream, and she doesn't know she's in the dream yet, um, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that scene. I really did. Yeah, the reveal that, like, oh, yeah, no, we're in a dream right now. Well, and the way he introduces it, because he 
they were walking somewhere, and then all of a sudden they cut to a cafe. And I remember thinking, like, that's a little weird. And he asks her, he said, you know, like, sometimes in dreams, do you, do you realize that you just kind of end up in the middle, and you don't really realize how you got there? And then they're talking, and he's like, Ariadne, do you, do you remember coming to this cafe? Like, do you remember coming? And that's how he kind of reveals everything is a dream. Yeah. Is they just like are in the middle of the cafe. He's like, you know, an, an easy way to an easy way to do it is to start in the middle of the dream. And she's talking about like, well, like, wouldn't they like not know? Yeah. And, th- and that's when he goes, wouldn't they like not like realize that they didn't know how they got there? He's like, well, Ariadne, do you remember how we got to this cafe? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a good scene, and it's so true too of dreams. Yeah. So it was great, yeah. That it makes a bunch of shit explode, like it's all wacky yeah. and crazy, and then, uh, and then they get like knocked out of the dream. Oh, so they introduce this mechanic at the very beginning, where if you die in the dream, you just wake up, right? But as soon as they get into the actual inceptive dream, where they're like trying to go super deep, they have to be sedated to go that deep into the dream, right? And because of that, if they die in the dream, they just get knocked into their subconscious. They don't. They don't wake up because they're sedated and it's going to a coma essentially. Um, and that subconscious is a fourth level down, right? And Dawn doesn't explain to them that this could happen, so they're all in the dream. Yeah. Ariadne has actually gone out of her way to make sure she can be involved in this because a huge element we haven't mentioned is that Dom has this very complicated relationship with his wife who has passed away, but is living in his subconscious and basically messing up every single... Yeah, every time. She shows... Maul. Maul shows up, ruins everything, and just, like... Because she's, like... Yeah, she's this memory that he has. This, like, projection memory that just constantly invades every dream that uh, he's involved in. And so he would go under at nighttime and spend time with her in these places and Ariadne is confused as to what's going on with him so one night she finds him and like hooks herself up to his dream so she's the only one who knows what's going on with him so she goes out of her way to make sure she's on this heist because she thinks it's imperative that somebody knows that he has this projection working against him at every single move and she's the only one who does know that so she goes out of her way to go into this dream among other people and he has not told any of them that they could actually not wake up from this. Yeah, and then uh, Saito also like tags along mostly because he wants to see that right. the inception is actually like occurs, right? And he gets shot, and, and they he say gets shot that- in the first layer, and they're like, and that's that's exactly he's like, well, we just finish him off, and he'll be back at the front. And that's when they find out that they can't die. And they're like, oh no. So then what do we do? He's like dying right now. He's like shot near the heart. Like he's like bleeding out. And then they have to, every, every, when they go deeper, they have more time. And each, each layer down is like logarithmic, right? So like you have like one hour here and then a day here and then like a week here, right? So, (laughs) so like they basically get the whole way down and, uh, and they're almost there. I can't remember the exact scenario. Oh, yeah. So, so at some point, he has to do this... Uh, Cobb has to do this thing called the Mr. Charles. So the first one they do... So that's in the second layer. Yeah, so the first layer they get down, um, they essentially abduct... Um, Fisher. They abduct Fisher, right? 
um, and defeat, and they they abduct him, and he's like talking about how he's got kidnapped and he's trying to he doesn't know he's in a dream, right? He just thinks he's you know, and it's it's raining because I guess uh, Yusuf had to pee or something like that. That's the the reason they give. Oh come on, you load up on all free champagne, and, like you got to pee in your dream. It's raining now. Oh, great. Mm. So they they go in, they, they're in this bo- this first layer, and they kidnap him, and all of a sudden they're getting shot at like immediately. Also, there's a train that shows up. That's a that's a problem from Cobb's subconscious. So there's the train is from his subconscious, and there's all these professional trained contract killer guys that are trying to kill them because at some point Fisher has had anti dream training, mm-hmm. essentially. So the the idea that he can now protect himself because he's his subconscious has been trained to really notice when he's being like invaded essentially right which none of these he doesn't know in there right right but none of these Cobb and his his friends were not expecting that at all yes. this is a total surprise to them yeah so even though he's being defended by his subconscious he's still unaware that he's like in a dream so then they they have to they they, they capture him and then Eames becomes this guy named Bradley last name Bradley I think um, Uncle Peter's. Yeah, Uncle Peter's. Yeah, him. he's Peter Bradley or something. He's an uncle, right? His uncle. So, and then they have to, in order to incept the idea that he wants him, so there's, it's super complicated to like how they, how they have to incept this idea to break his father's empire apart. And they make it seem like that they are both captured, right? Um, that him and Uncle Peter were captured. And he like, he finds out that Uncle Peter is there. It's this, like, it's this crazy... They have to make him distrust Uncle Peter for some reason. They have to plant parts of the idea in each separate layer, yes. which is why they created all of these layers, because that's the only way they can convince him that he comes to this conclusion on his own. Yes. Because no one is telling him, this is what your father is is doing, and this is why you should break up his company. It's in the first layer, your father has a will that allows you to break up the company. And he's like, why the heck would he do that? And then the next layer is... And they, they, yeah, they drag him into the next layer. Cause they, they, they meet and they're like, you know, tortured, whatever. Right. Um, and then, then the next layer, that's the one where he's like, okay, this is already bad at the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't... Like something, this isn't, this is, this is like going poorly. We're going to have to do the Mr. Charles. And he's like, what's the Mr. Charles? He's like, well, we're going to tell Fisher he's dreaming in the second layer, basically. Okay. So it, it's like Cobb didn't, somehow didn't brief them on this ass. Or maybe they need, I think they needed to change it because of the, because of the, like the soldiers that were attacking them. Yeah. That's why they needed to switch to the, yeah, he has to know he's dreaming and want to go deeper. Right. So they trick, they, they like, DiCaprio's character Cobb successfully tricks Fisher into thinking that Cobb is one of his security forces, and that the 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 security forces are actually the attackers, right? Mm-hmm. And then and now so Cobb is like or Fisher's on their side now, basically, mm-hmm. and they're, they're working with him, and he's talking to him, and he's like he's like, so what was the previous story? Do you remember it? And he's like, oh yeah, I, I was kidnapped, and my uncle Peter was there, and he's like. And they're, like, he's, like, kind of beating around the bush to, like, make him seem like Uncle Peter's, like, trying to, like, get him to do something, you know? Yeah. Like, he's got some ulterior motive. And he's, like, well, like, was he there with you or did he show up after? And he's, like, oh. <laughs> and then there's this altercation with actual Uncle Peter, right? And uh, and then he, uh, they, they go one level deeper, right? And they're in this... They're in this, it's this winter complex that, that they had the architect create, right? And uh, 
And there, there's this like Matt, this really complicated, like super close. You know, they get him. He gets in. He goes through. The, he bypasses the maze because they got to get him right there because there's this massive like opposition force that's gonna come attack them from his subconscious. Um, and they get him in there, and it's perfect. And then Maul shows up and just kills him basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, and then you know they he he shoots her. Uh, Cobb shoots Maul, right? Shoots his wife. Um, and. And they're like, oh no, like, what do we do? He's dead now. Now he's he's in the subconscious with her. So they have to go even deeper, like the, the layer they did not yeah, want to go unplanned. to. Because it's where you, get, where you get lost, right? And they had to, they go, they went down and, and it was, it, it goes deeper in that layer to get him back. So it's this thing that they call the kick, which is when you, you can wake someone up. And the kick is the only way they can wake them up in this scenario, because you can't shoot someone in the head to, to wake them up, right? So the kick is like falling or like hitting the water or like that, that feeling of falling. That's something that like actually wakes you up when you're like asleep, right? right? And uh, they have to synchronize all those. And then <laughs> there's a really cool fight scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt fighting some henchmen in a hallway because the I think it's like the previous layers, what's happening in the previous layer affects the next layer. Mm-hmm. So because he's in a, he's in a, a, a van that is basically launched off a cliff at that point. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, oh, it's off a bridge. The van drives off a bridge and it's in free fall. So there's no gravity. So he's like having his fight in like pitching and then zero gravity in a hallway. It's, it's such a, it's so well done too. Like you don't see it and go, this looks like garbage. Like it looks really good. You know, yeah. it's really well, like you don't, you don't see it and think this was done in 2010. Yeah. Like you just don't even think about when yeah. the movie came out. Which is what you want. You want those kinds of effects that are going to stand the test of time, that aren't going to age the movie. And I feel like anything, especially that scene stands out as the most, like, intense effects, I think. But any any scene with any kind of effect in this movie, you're not thinking, like, oh, this is 2010. You're not thinking yeah. about the year at all. Yeah. I mean, I just... Is there anything else you really liked? I've been, like, explaining stuff too much. I mean, like, you really just you have to watch have Inception, to. you know? Because, like... The whole thing, like, the only reason he knows the Inception can work is because he, like, accidentally on purpose incepted his wife because they were both stuck in the subconscious together. And he was like, we got to get out. You know, like, we can't be stuck here. They were there for 50 years, right? And they, they he, like, had to trick her into believing that the world wasn't real because she didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that feeling that let her be receptive to leaving the subconscious also bled into reality, and now, and then, which is why she killed herself because she didn't think that the world that they were in the real she didn't think the real world was real yeah it wasn't specific to that world that they had been in this was just an idea that now was constantly in her mind it basically gave her a mental illness essentially it's really sad yeah it was super sad um and before she kills herself she like she wants them to kill to like both die together right to go back to whatever you know she thinks they're gonna escape right um because she wants him to not feel bad for some reason it's some twisted she like you know gets herself declared legally sane like three times makes it seem like he's gonna kill her if she doesn't basically it was truly awful like she like called their attorney and said she was afraid for her life or something like that a couple times just to like make uh is so he is like nothing and that's the whole reason he agreed to the inception job is because he wants to go back and see his kids and he can't go back to america and see his kids because he's wanted for her murder essentially yeah it's pretty sad (laughs) yeah it is and then in the end 
he goes back and he does see his kids. And another element, which, again, you just have to know the movie because there's oh, so yeah. much to explain. Another element is that to tell if you're in the dream or not, they, they carry these totems. And the whole idea is, like, only you know the specific weight. And if you're in the, somebody else's dream, it's not going to feel right because they don't know enough about your totem to, like, make it feel right. Mm -hmm. And so Maul's totem was this top that if you're in the real world, it will fall. But if you're in a dream, it never stops spinning. Yeah. And so when he goes back to see his kids, he spins the top on the table. He goes off to see his kid. You just see the top. And it spins, and it, like, falters a little bit, but you never see it fall. So we don't get any clarification as to whether <laughs> yeah. or not, like, him going back to see his kids is actually real. Or not. Yeah, because it, it cuts from... So he had to go... He had to stay in the subconscious for a little bit because Saito died in the first dream layer. At the By the end, he had, he had died. Mm -hmm. So they had to... They had to, like... He had to go find... Him in the subconscious, and Saito's like an old man when he get when he finds yeah. him, and, and it goes full circle to that first dream that you see at the very start of the movie, where they're trying to use Saito for information. Yeah, and you actually see a a bit of that at the beginning, like the very beginning is him like showing up on the beach at Saito's compound mm -hmm. in the subconscious. But you don't know it's a subconscious yet. Mm -hmm. um, so he he goes has to go and find him in the subconscious. Which, I mean, you know, I think time there is about infinite. So like they can, he can just do as much as he wants in that amount of time. Um, and like, and then you, you just, you don't like you see him talk to Saito. He's like, let's go back and be young men together again. Mm -hmm. Which I think is such a great line. It is. And, uh, and then Saito kind of like smiles a little bit and then it just cuts to him waking up on the airplane. So you like, you don't get to see him pass through all the previous layers and you're like, wait, is, is this him like making some shit up? Is this like his subconscious? Is he still stuck in his subconscious? And then they do the the top thing to you. He doesn't talk to anybody on the plane, right? Mm -hmm. He like they, they they all like kind of share looks. They don't say a word, and he talks to Michael Caine just a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And like Michael Caine calls his kids. And you see his kids' faces. So I mean, at the end of the day, even if he's not in the real world, at least he gets gets to see his kids' faces, and he's not like plagued by that indecision anymore. You know? Yeah. So it's either way, it's like not a really bad ending for him because even if it is a fake world, he's able to interact with his children. Yeah, so. and I thought it was a fine ending for the movie. I feel like with this kind of movie, if you don't have an ending that like leaves you with some questions, then they did it wrong. Because I feel like with something this complicated, you are gonna have some questions. I will say one of my favorite things about the movie was that everything was explained really well and in really good timing. So you never were like. But wait, oh, this doesn't make sense. You know, they always, like, fed you the information about the way that this dreamscape worked at the exact time that you needed it. Yes. So you might have a few questions, like, leading up to something, but eventually that would get answered when it comes to the way that things technically work, which was cool. Yeah. I rated this memorable. I feel like back when I watched it, I probably would have just given it entertaining because it was pretty overhyped when it came out. I mean, like... You know, if you didn't just watch it in theaters without reading any of the hype, like it yeah. was very hyped when it came out. So I feel like you would have probably had a similar experience if well, you I did watched rate it at that time. I did rate it entertaining. So maybe it's mm -hmm. a, if you watch it a second time, you'll like it even more. I did enjoy it. I definitely did. I just, these are not the kinds of movies that stick out to me as yeah. memorable. Like if, if any of, of this kind of like heist, you know, movie were to stick out with, to me, I would hope it would be this one because i yeah i, mean, I did a, like it but to be realistic 
these are just not the kinds of movies that like really stick in my mind yeah even though i enjoyed it a lot yeah it's uh, it's very good and i honestly don't even have anything really bad to to say about it like i enjoyed the characters i thought the acting was great the storyline was great like i said it was this crazy like high intensity concept but you never really felt in the dark so that in itself is an incredible feat because there are so many movies books any type of media where they just have this crazy idea and they can't pull it off and this movie 1000 percent pulls it off yeah i fully believe that this is a christopher nolan movie um and it's very very well done and i can't remember if i think interstellar is also a christopher nolan movie um, but that's another movie that, like, gets the same kind of props that Inception does with how, like, much of a modern classic it is. Mm-hmm. Or it's just one of those movies you like, it's, the concept is just so good. Yeah. And they deliver real well. It was know? so refreshing to see this side of DiCaprio after watching Don't Look Up, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> to watch him in a There's good movie no again. <laughs> and I did tell Peter, so we watched Looper this year. Which is a Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, yeah. movie. And I was telling Peter, I was like, you watch that movie and you're like, yeah, this guy is an action hero. Like, you see him you're like, I, I see this. And well, you like put, Bruce Willis even. Who I like, know. Is an action hero. I know. You know? Which, and that doesn't take away yeah. from the fact that Bruce Willis is. But you put this man, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, next to Leonardo DiCaprio. And it is so clear, like, this guy's the lead and this guy's the sidekick. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like a guy who formerly, I was like, oh yeah, he's he's the lead. Yeah. You know, it's just crazy how, and I don't know, that could be like a totally biased, like you just know from the media that Leonardo DiCaprio is like the guy. Yeah. I don't know, I think that could be it, honestly. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? I have not. I know. Isn't that one of your favorite movies? Like, yeah, I ever? think I've seen that movie like 12 times, and it's three hours long. So. Oh my gosh, do we have to? It's so good. It's so funny. I mean, it's frat guy funny, so like, like it's, it's like funny from a, man, that dude's doing a lot of drugs. Whoa! <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so good, though. It's super well done, and that, I think that's one of his... He should have got an Oscar for that. He didn't, but he should have. It was a very good movie. He did, what, did, what did he get his Oscar from? The Revenant? I think so. Which people I don't even... Are upset I think about I, I haven't seen The Revenant, but people are upset about it because they don't think it's his best movie. Right. You know? But he he sure got... Play, he sure play acted getting half-eaten by a bear real well or whatever. Yeah, I guess. But, like, I mean... <laughs> yeah, people were like... He, he didn't get it for Titanic, which people loved him in, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he didn't get it for... Inception, which is yeah. a great Yeah, he movie. is a part of a lot of modern classics. Wolf of Wall Street's exceptional. I'm sure I'm not... Oh, yeah, Great Gatsby was a... He's yeah. a solid... Oh you know, gosh. he's a great Jay Gatsby, you know? I mean, he's just in so much stuff, and they did not give him an Oscar until he was in a Wild West movie, basically. So people were pissed about that. Well, the Oscars are weird. I think we yeah. learned that this year. And people people think that it was a pity Oscar, because they realized they hadn't given it to him for all these other great roles he's done. And that happens a lot. Like, there are there are Oscars that are given out that you kind of... You know, like, everyone did really well, but this one actor has been nominated, like, eight times, and he's never gotten it. Yeah. It's like, oh, we should we should give it to him around this time, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, maybe it's not true, but, like, that's how it feels to people, yeah. you know? It's like... Like, you get, really, you gave him an Oscar for The Revenant, but you skipped him over for all these other movies that he's done that were incredible, you know? Yeah. Well, this is getting pretty long, and we're rambling as we usually do at the end. 
Yeah. So we will see you next week with two new movies that we have no idea what they will be. Or old movies. Okay. <laughs>